Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Pathway to Peace on the Voice of Islam radio station. This holiday season could be considered the most looked forward to time of the year, with Christmas, a time known for family, fun and festivities, and the new year quickly approaching. Many find this a time of joy and happiness. It's especially seen as important and a joyous time for children who look forward to the parties and presents alongside a host of Christmas movies and, of course, Santa Claus. However, for some, this is a time which is the complete opposite, a time when their anxiety may be heightened due to past experiences or the feeling of deprivation as they see others getting the things they want. But what difference does this make? Surely they'll grow out of these feelings and just get on with things. Is that truly the case? A recent report about the mental health of zero to five-year-olds actually clarified the importance of mental health issues in this age group and how what happens at this age can affect their later life. So at Pathway to Peace, a show where we delve into how to achieve political, economic, societal and inner peace, we decided to delve into this issue of the mental health of zero to five-year-olds and how the impact of the experiences at this age affect later life and the ways in which we as Muslims can help to counter these issues, which can lead to negative impact on a child's mental health. I am your host today, and today on the show we have, I'm your host Hafiya Khan, and today on the show we have Alia Sami, a mental health counsellor and mother of 15-year-old, a 15-month-year-old, sorry, and Anne-Marie Ionesco, a medical doctor and a mother of two children under the age of six. Assalamu alaikum and welcome, ladies. So, Alia, if we can turn to you first, um, can you give us some background uh, to this particular report that took place? Yes. So the report, which was conducted by the Royal College of Psychiatrists and just published in October, is based around the findings that mental health issues can manifest as early as conception up to five years old. So these are crucial years that suggest that extra focus on the prevention of mental health issues around this age can allow for a less likelihood of mental health issues to arise in adolescence. Mm. Suggestions from the report uh, include support to mothers in pregnancy, working on helping parents with attachment styles and things like this. Um, certain things such as abuse within the home, both physical and emotional, also predicted the mental health of children. It is probably worth mentioning that some signs to look out for may be issues in feeding, sleeping and crying. Additionally, any behaviour issues that are noticed early must be addressed by a spe specialist if possible. Additionally, a meta-analysis within the report highlighted that mental health conditions were found to be 20.1% in children aged 1 to 7 years, which included anxiety, depression and ADHD mainly. Wow, that's that's a huge number actually when you think mm. about it. Um, so that's quite astonishing that you think such young children, zero, sort of one to seven years, have have issues of anxiety and depression. So, what were some of the reasons behind, you know, why this age group is actually facing certain mental health conditions? Well, I think 
a lot of the time we talk about COVID-19 and how the pandemic had made some situations worse, but Mm -hmm. mental health concerns always had existed before the pandemic. It's just we became more aware. And certain risk factors kind of included things like the pregnancy-related factors. So within pregnancy, things like smoking, usage of alcohol, substance Mm -hmm. abuse, poor nutrition, prenatal infection, being overweight, and many other things actually predicted the different mental concerns that can come about you could also have birth related risk factors such as premature birth or low birth weight obstetric complications inequality in maternal care and it it might be important to mention the fact that with black and asian and ethnic minority women there exists an an inequality of care within that where I think um, certain symptoms and such are more likely to be ignored or Mm. care is more likely to be neglected within these groups. And when we look at structural inequality as well, we look at socioeconomic deprivation. There's many risk factors which are more common amongst lower socioeconomical status families Mm -hmm. and contribute to developmental delay, intellectual disability, and adverse childhood psychological outcomes and adult mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. Perhaps this is due to um, lack of access to different different institutions, different educational management programs in which they might be able to. Yes, different facilities, absolutely, Mm -hmm. um, that aren't available to to these type of um, population. And of course, we can't ignore the impact of prenatal depression and anxiety where, you know, of course, birth trauma is a very, very real thing where you can experience post-traumatic stress disorder from Mm -hmm. something like birth, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's other things as well included, like child adversity as well. So this basically refers to things like domestic violence, Mm -hmm. parental abandonment through separation or divorce. As we see, the divorce rates are constantly climbing. And uh, we see with parents with a mental health condition can be a predictor. But however, with parents with a mental health condition, if it is one that is managed through medical means and through therapy and these type of means, then usually what they can do is management can occur where actually they're still able to be there for their child. I think it's when it's unmanaged. These are where the issues can really come up. Mm -hmm. Um. Of course, being the victim of abuse as well, being a victim of neglect, a member of the household being in prison. So these kind of things, they can definitely affect it. And it might be it might be quite uh, important to actually highlight the fact that in England, the demographic factors outlined below were associated with increased risk of mental health conditions in two to four year olds which is things like gender. So the proportion of two to four-year-old boys with mental health conditions was 6.8% compared to 3.9% of two to four-year-old girls. So that's a lot. Wow. That's Mm. a lot there, yeah. There's there's a lot. And I think um, they talked about um, race as well and socioeconomic background as well, linked to those things as well. And they compared um, boys and girls within those different groups as well. So that's really interesting. Knowing that boys, I think at this age group are are dealing with sort of mental health conditions is, is, you know, very interesting when we look at society and the older population sort of adolescents and the issues that are happening with them in mental health as well. So we can maybe talk about that as, as we move through the show. So 
you know, Alia, why is this actually such an important issue? You know, what does it matter in the long run? I mean, you've mentioned some of these issues, but surely, you know, they're so young, at, at such a young age, this can't really have lasting effects, can it? So even from the time within the womb, when the brain is development, it was, was developing, sorry, mm-hmm. and the different kind of hormones, the different environmental factors that can play its part, all the way to the birth and after the birth, the there is a more so after the birth, especially, mm-hmm. they are exposed, they are sponges, they ex- mm-hmm. absorb their environment accordingly. Mm-hmm. And preconception to five years is an important time in a child's life because of the critical brain development that happens at that time. Mm-hmm. And another thing also is that the establishment of responsive relationships is then established, particularly oh, okay. in the first two years mm-hmm. of a child's life as well. So then this is where in the, in those first two two years, especially the crucial years where attachment develops, which is something we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. We can also see that this is where they learn their socialization, their emotional development. Mm-hmm. And these are the these are the kind of factors that actually influence how they behave later on in life. Mm-hmm. So these are the, really the crucial years, how we as parents are able to to model to our kids, to show healthy relationships, to to demonstrate healthy behaviors and teach healthy behaviors through our approach. Mm-hmm. These are all the factors that then predict how uh, uh, the the emotional intelligence and the emotional well-being of a child is going to be. Okay. Okay, that make that makes a lot of sense. So by by focusing on this particular age group what you're doing mm-hmm. is you're actually focusing on that that child for life and making mm-hmm. sure that they have that kind of strong foundation which as their brain is developing like you said um, and I think in, in previous shows you know a few years ago we've done we've done looking at anxiety and brain, brain development in, in adolescence and how the brain again at that time changes quite a lot so again it's a very vital point but when you look at this time and looking at the brain development that this is that quite a core um, time or that that prime time where you really have to pay a lot of attention to making sure that the child is um is feeling feeling good and healthy and obviously we'll talk about the, the ways to do that um as we go on so what what kind of practical methods did this i mean like you said it's a very very recent report just just um published in october what practical methods did they give as to how to handle um all of these kind of mental health issues so um one of the first things i think was kind of highlighted was the importance of um now the way that the child is fed so of course we talked a lot about the importance of breastfeeding okay um and of course you know the thing is is that with with breastfeeding the oxytocin that is released oxytocin is the cuddle hormone that's released during breastfeeding and the closeness the skin to skin nature of it so breastfeeding is one of the most intimate ways to connect with your baby and to provide security however breastfeeding can also um produce a let let down response where the woman can feel quite miserable and tearful and so that they can experience a, a additional layer of sadness while breastfeeding so for them it actually can be quite adverse in experience okay. so okay. i think one of the most important things to highlight is a a fed baby is a happy baby and if you are using formula that doesn't mean that you're you're setting your child up for you know you know ill mental health or whatever or you know that that's not it at all 
I think you can you can encourage closeness and we'll discuss more about this later actually then of course you know there's a the different attachment styles that we'll also talk about a little bit more um and the importance of play as well the the way you play with your child the way you engage with your child because that's how they learn and grow and uh, also the promotion of protecting parent infant relationships as well and the different parenting programs that can be available and early childhood education and care. So this is nursery, fresh, daycare, these kind of mm -hmm. things. So we're going to talk, we're going to expand on that a little bit more. Into yeah, the show. yeah, yeah, we'll come, we'll come back to the considering each of these points in details um, in a moment and a little bit later on. But first, um, I want to move Anne-Marie to you. If um, Alia already mentioned, you know, some of the signs we should be looking for, um, which could be indicators that a young child is dealing with stress and anxiety from a medical point of view, what other signs um, can there be? So, so I think the signs themselves can vary depending on the patient and the patient's age, obviously. Um, but generally speaking, for a less than five-year-old, you would be looking for things like um, the child being more withdrawn than usual. Um, they might be exhibiting, you know, like challenging behaviours, including physical hitting of siblings and parents or other children in their nursery if they're in that kind of setting. Um so biting is is uh, uh, one of those things that tend to be um, picked up more in nursery settings, probably because it's a more of an anxiety driven environment for them. Yeah. Um, sort of uh, patients or younger children who start bedwetting after they've already been trained mm -hmm. is also a big, big sign of that. Um, things like uh, frequent crying. Uh, seems a bit more obvious nightmares at night time but also the development of uh, poor eating habits so either refusing to eat um, with kind of stricter food regimes and that's actually particularly more common in adolescents and in older children mm -hmm. um, um, but probably the more frequent uh, complaints are things like tummy ache like unexplained mm -hmm. tummy ache is mm -hmm. one of the most common reasons why um, pay, children come in to see a GP uh, okay. and even often, that young okay yeah even that young and and often once other things have been ruled out it tends to be pulled down to the fact that they might be struggling with something in school and they're anxious for that reason mm -hmm. and uh, of course nail biting as well but again this does vary with age and it's important to take into context the child's personality mm -hmm. uh, up until that point you know if you notice a change in their personality and uh, children crave routine and regularity so um, kind of chaotic unscheduled lifestyles will frequently bring about the the symptoms that we talked about above okay okay so it might not it, it might be due to the fact that your lifestyle is not settled and that's actually what's causing you know that child anxiety and therefore you're they're coming out with these symptoms as well mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's interesting so you know as as muslims um we know that the holy quran is full of guidance and can lead people to peace and, and help you with anxiety um primarily through recognizing god and following his commands and, and a verse of the holy quran it says in the remembrance of it is in the remembrance of allah that hearts can find comfort and that's chapter 13 verse 29 and as members of the amdiya muslim community who believe and have accepted the promised messiah mizukullah Muhammad of qadian peace be upon him who was prophesied to come by the holy prophet muhammad peace and blessings of allah be upon him in the latter days to reform not only muslims but people of all faiths 
we actually have the added benefit of his wisdom and guidance and that of his successors with regards to how to parent in the best way to deal with things like anxiety and mental illness in general in the modern world that we live in. So firstly, as a Muslim, why is it actually important to take care of the mental health of our young children? And practically, in layman's terms, what steps can be taken to help deal with this issue? Anne-Marie? So there's lots of verses of the Holy Quran and the sayings of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which talk about parent, the you know the parents' duty to raise their children well. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in one verse, for example, in the Holy Quran, chapter fifty nine, verse nineteen, um, it states, and I quote, "O ye who believe, fear Allah and let every soul look to what it sends forth for the morrow, and fear Allah. Verily, Allah is well aware of what you do." Um, and so one of the things that we leave for the morrow or the future um, is well-adjusted children. So it's our duty as parents to try and raise good, pious individuals who are, you know, constructive for society and not only have a firm resolve in their faith, but also have a good standard of um, of morals and be loyal citizens, you know, to the country in which they live in and make every effort to try and excel in every aspect of their life <coughs> sorry um and in terms of how to do this especially with under fives will be more or less the same you know whether you're muslim or not and the difference of having a faith is the reliance that you have you know on god through prayers to help us to do this because ultimately god is the knower of the seen and unseen and we you know we we don't know all that is to happen in the future or what what will impact our children ultimately and so prayers is is one way in which we can rely on god to try and protect our children um and kind of cover our faults as parents as well Yeah. yeah but having a routine and regular schedule in this regard is quite important and we mentioned earlier that children do crave regularity and consistency in their day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. um, as well as in caregiving so having multiple changes in nursery daycare or or the primary caregiver at home can bring about anxiety in children Um, as well as you know uh, Alia mentioned you know um, anxiety and depression in parents so being emotionally unavailable um, to your children because of depression and anxiety this can manifest in their children who will notice mental health issues within a parent mm-hmm. so tackling one's own mental health issues as a parent is important in in, in breaking that cycle mm-hmm. um, into future generations um, and the just to mention the current worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, community Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed uh, may Allah be his helper is constantly highlighting for parents the need to parent you know with wisdom and be ever mindful of our children's behavior and, and attitudes and so some of the advice that he's given to parents should be it should be that uh, one of the parents at least should be at home once the kids are back from school mm-hmm. for example and that yeah. feeds into the consistency of the primary caregiving role um uh, and you know being open and speaking openly about difficulties children are facing at school controversial topics mm-hmm. being emotionally available for your child all of these are really really important um, and require active listening and troubleshooting with your child so there's just maybe one other thing that I'd mentioned I know that's something that was relevant in my uh, childhood growing up but taking on projects together 
mm -hmm. uh, with your child. So, for example, arts and crafts projects or construction projects at home that will foster, you know, that relationship building, mm -hmm. but also forward planning and it, it improves self-esteem um, once projects are are completed and so you learn a lot of skills by watching your parents for example you know I learned a lot of skills watching my father in his workshop and then taking part in small projects in his own uh, workshop area oh okay um, okay of my That's own interesting. yeah <laughs> so I suppose <laughs> yeah. even for little children you know they you can teach them things like pass me the spanner pass me the screwdriver you know those kind of things that you're you're doing and um, you're creating that bond but also you're learning at the same time yes absolutely yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Emery. So, Ali, you know, is there anything you want to add to that? You know, not only from the from the position of a mental health counsellor, but also from your your own experience? Yeah, as, as, as a mum, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think being able to encourage a space of openness with your kids. Mm -hmm. Kids are going to ask a lot of questions and some questions, especially in this day and age, are going to seem quite uh quite quite uh, quite strange quite you know something you probably haven't encountered a child asking before it, it's important not to shy away from these topics that might seem a little controversial to you um, but it's actually important for you to engage with them and be open because mm -hmm. any information that they ask you you need to be ready to give it because then they'll try and see it search that information from outside and maybe that might not be the best information for their their well-being for their safety but what you're doing is you're kind of guiding them on those issues rather than them trying to find the information that they want outside so that openness builds a trust mm -hmm. and that trust then builds that kind of sets that that groundwork for you to actually be able to work on and be able to develop especially as they get into adolescence and where the 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 confusion becomes more mm -hmm. i think if they know they have somebody to turn to that's that's an incredibly important thing mm -hmm. so and i also might suggest the thing of something recently which has come about which is gentle parenting and it's not to be confused with passive parenting um which is kind of like you know you become your kid's best friend or whatever whatever i think there needs to be a balance between you need to be their mom or dad and guide them but then you also do need to be open with them as well and it's about sort of setting the boundaries where boundaries need to be so it's kind of mm -hmm. about validating your child's emotions but still being stern and guiding when you need to be mm -hmm. and it kind of it completely goes against the whole thing of shouting or belittling your children and making them feel worthless mm -hmm. or using overly judgmental language to get your kids to do what you want yeah, um, yeah. you know they're they are you know going to in future be adults so they need to realize you know how to because the way you communicate with them is the mm -hmm. way that they are going to then be able to set that expectation for others the expectation mm -hmm. of you know I will not let you talk to me like that I will not let you belittle me because that wasn't from my home you know mm -hmm. it teaches mm -hmm. them their self-worth the self-esteem and being able to stand up for themselves which are good skills that you want to be able to teach your kids especially in this day and age yeah you know where you there's know. a lot of adversity out there so yeah definitely definitely I think that's that's so important this concept of gentle parenting and actually understanding the difference between that and um and also you know passive parenting which a lot mm. of people have sort of turned to. Um, and I remember when we were having a discussion um, previously before the show and you were talking about sort of from an Islamic point of view, the, the concept of how important the family is um, bringing, in bringing mm. up that child. And, and in, in terms of the parents' relationship, you know, what was the guidance there in terms of what parents should be doing in front of their children? Um, I think that with, with 
parents, it's important that we have to model the behavior that we want to see in our kids. So that means things like not fighting in front of the children. Yeah. yeah. And because these are these create a toxic environment within the home, these create the adversity that then affects their mental health and their yeah. well-being, especially in terms of anxiety and depression. Yeah. Um, and also another thing as I, I would also add is um, particularly within our faith as well, that concept of God that we teach to our kids, that God isn't, mm. you know, a being that's going to, you know, thrash you and punish you and just mm-hmm. you know be angry at you all the time and you've sinned and you've done that and you carry all that guilt with you about it sinning and no god is merciful you know he's gracious he's all forgiving right mm-hmm. he's all knowing it's these concepts of kind of god that you put there which then makes um, children be able to want to have a relationship with yeah. god rather than be really frightened and terrified and resentful and mm-hmm. all these other emotions that can come up as well yeah. so that's also another very important aspect i would say and I, and i think you're right that that has to be um put in place when the child is extremely young because mm. it's not something you can kind of add in later on it, it, nope. it it's from the get go yeah yeah, exactly. thank you for that. So so this is Pathway to Peace for the Voice of Islam radio station. And today we're discussing the impact of mental health um, issues on zero to five-year-olds. So you've both mentioned some of the ways that we can deal with, you know, these issues, mental health issues, anxiety um, that's happening in, in these very young children. Um, and we've also seen that the report, um, which Alia mentioned at the beginning, had six main focal points. So I kind of wanted to break down each of the recommendations and see what the report says and what our Islamic guidance also says um, with regards to each of these recommendations. So the first one, as we mentioned, as Alia mentioned earlier, was the concept of breastfeeding, which um, she's already given. You've already given us some some information about that earlier about, um, you know, a fed baby being a happy baby, which I think is a really important notion that, you know, this mum guilt. Oh, no, I'm not breastfeeding. Oh, no. How do I feed my child? Mm. Um, that issue that obviously that causes anxiety for the mother and therefore that that anxiety can transfer onto the child as well. So if you could just give me a little bit of um, a little bit of a background about what our faith talks about when it talks about how to feed our, our very young children, that the children who are at that stage, that they only, they're only they only on milk, whether it's breastfeeding or formula. What, what, what guidance are we given with regards to that? So the Holy Quran alludes to the issue of breastfeeding, um, which not only considers the relationship of the mother-baby bond, but also the importance of the choice mm-hmm. that a woman has regarding this issue. And interestingly enough, also the father's contribution to that. I mean, breastfeeding is also um, when you decide to wean the child, that's actually kind of a joint decision because of it's the nutritional welfare of the child. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one thing as well. Um, and uh, it, within within um, our faith as well, it says, and mothers shall give suck to their children for two whole years. This is for those who desire to complete the suckling. And the man to whom the child belongs shall be responsible for their mother's food and clothing according to usage. No soul is burdened beyond its capacity. So there we 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 have that kind of demonstration of the fact that, you know, if you are to choose to suckle for two years, then, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's two years. Mm-hmm. It's two years and then that's it. Because obviously the, the woman's nutritional, um, her, her needs as well, uh, you know, she's need to be need to be met after that time so um 
And the mother shall not make the father suffer on account of her child, nor shall he to whom the child belongs make the mother suffer on account of his child. And the same is incumbent on the heir. So if they both decide upon weaning the child by mutual consent and consultation, there is no blame on them. And I mentioned that earlier, that it's a mutual decision that's made. Um, and towards the end of the verse, actually, it talks about the possibility of using a wet nurse. And wet nurses have been referenced many times in our faith to feed your child. And that probably acknowledges the fact that, you know, not everybody was able to to breastfeed their child. So there was somebody who was able to do that at that point because there was no system of formula feeding at yeah, that time. Yeah, and of, yeah. co of course, alhamdulillah, we have formula. So we, we can kind of take that into our hands in another way. Um and of course, you know, the verse, and if you desire to engage a wet nurse for your children, there shall be no blame on you, provided you pay what you have agreed to pay in a fair manner and fear Allah and know what Allah sees what you do. Yeah, and this is from Surah Baqarah, I believe. Um, That's right. Verse 234. So yeah, this is the, the second chapter of the Holy Quran, where, you know, this is, this is very practical information. This is a very practical way that women are, are told this is what you can do. You have the choice. Um, and if this is how you you desire to feed your child, you can do it in this way. So I think that's, that's really good advice <laughs> that we have that choice. But also it recognizes yeah. the importance of making sure the baby is fed. So if you do not desire, then engage in a wet nurse because that was the way of the time that they did it. Obviously, in today's day and age, we can use formula milk. So we have that option as well. And, you know, this actually reminds me, I mean, this importance based on this um, feeding of, of a young baby um, and and that mother that mother baby bond as well it reminds me of an event that took place in the life of um, Hazrat Umar um, may God be pleased with him who was the second caliph after the holy prophet and peace and blessings of God be upon him and he once came across a mother with her child who was crying and when he actually approached her and asked why the baby was crying the mother said um, the woman said that um, the baby wanted milk and she was trying to give him something else because the stipend, which was given, like that was like a child welfare um, that was given. It was only given for those children who were no longer suckling, who were no longer breastfeeding. Um, and when Hazrat Umar, um, may God be pleased with him, asked and um, what the age of the child was and the woman told him, he told her that she should not stop suckling the child prematurely. And actually, he actually then made an announcement that no one would stop um, suckling their child prematurely. That means before the age of until the child is two um and that, that a stipend or a child welfare or an extra um a, a, an extra amount would be given to those those families where the mother was breastfeeding the child um from the day they were born and so this actually just showed the importance of establishing a system whereby the mother's right to feed was protected which i thought you know you know, this was 1400 years ago where, you know, that mother, that mother child relationship was still um, such a blessed relationship. And it was it was looked upon as so important. Mm -hmm. So obviously, we've discussed that in quite a lot of detail. If we move now to the second point, which was linked to um, secure attachment earlier, what was that saying? Yes. So as mentioned before, the first two years of the child's life is the most crucial in terms of how we have attachment styles and these attachment styles that we develop actually influence our relationships within the future. So um, we have different attachment types like avoidant attachment, uh, mm -hmm. which is likely to form when a caregiver doesn't provide sufficient emotional response. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the child doesn't respond to the caregiver or other adults and shows very little emotion. Um, Ambivalent attachment is when the child becomes really distressed when the caregiver leaves the room and has this notion that they can't, they can't have their needs met um, very well uh, mm -hmm. as well. 
Then you've got disorganized attachment, which is when you have an unstable or aggressive response to caregivers. And this is when there hasn't been any consistency within the attachment at all. Um, and there's been kind of that absent parenting and these kind of issues or abuse or it could be mm-hmm. it could be a lot of things. But these this can this can be a huge predictor that can lead to depression later on in life. And then there's secure attachment, which is when a child knows that a parent can meet their needs. And when the child, like, for, for example, when the mum or dad leaves the room, the, child, the child's a bit, bit upset. But then when they come back, then the child's happy again to be reunited with them. So so it's this, this kind of attachment actually predicts better mental health outcomes and predicts um, a lot better and uh, in, in, in enhanced relationships. Uh, in the future Uh, so yes that's Mm -hmm. I think that's really closely linked to what both of you mentioned earlier about you know having um, a routine um, consistency in caregiving etc you know this idea of gentle parenting which I thought was beautiful where where children actually feel comfortable and and, you know trust this trust their parent which is really important absolutely I think we can just to add into there I think we can see this through the example of the the prophet peace be upon him where He said, um, and I quote, do not curse the child for when you curse, angels add, let it be like that and like that it becomes. Address the child politely and courteously for a child is a great mimic. If you address it rudely, it will return the compliment in kind. Do not lie to a child nor be peevish or arrogant with it and it will certainly imitate you. On and there was another quote in which he said, "Honor your children." Yeah. So there's, you know, lots of these these ideas about how you know having this, as as Alia said, this um, secure attachment with a child, and the way to do that is to be polite to your child, be courteous to your child, don't lie to your child, honor your child. So treat it, treat the baby, treat the child with with respect. Not a baby is <laughs> under five, is, you know, is is a child. Um, treat them with respect and you know be careful of the way that you're acting around them because they will they will imitate you as well um so i think that's really important you know so so within islam you know we are constantly seeing examples of, of you know practically treating your children with love and respect and kindness and this is coming you know from traditions which are hundreds of years old and very much they they weren't the status quo at the time you know this was another revolution that took place at the time of the holy prophet peace and blessings God be upon him you know when pre-islamic society the concept of respect or courtesy courtesy towards a child you know wouldn't have been given a lot of importance your child was your child they did what they said did what you told them to do um so that change that was happening in the attitudes of parents towards their children was again another another huge shift in the dynamic of the time so let's let's now move on to the concept of of play earlier. You mentioned about play. Yeah. So uh, the way that a child learns is through play, mm-hmm. and play is a very important uh, part of development of the child. Mm-hmm. And actually, by joining in with their play, we strengthen the bond between the child and the parent. So mm-hmm. there's some examples in Islam as well with uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him and the advice that's given there when the grandson of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would climb onto his back during prayer when he was prostrating, uh, the Prophet, peace be upon him, would stay in that position until he came off, uh, therefore not disturbing the child's playful endeavours. How many of us have had our children climbing on us (laughs) during namaz, right? During prayers, yeah, yeah. Yeah, during prayers, during... So this is a very, very common behaviour that's just been there for years. So, yeah. 
So it's allowing the child, even when you're in a state of prayer, that you're praying to God, you're trying to connect with him, but you're still looking after the sentiments of the child and allowing them to play and not disturbing their play um, in in that situation as well. So I think that's really important. I remember that there was an example of the promised Messiah, um, peace be upon him, when um, he was trying to sleep and he, he was sort of a little bit uncomfortable tossing and turning a little bit. And then somebody, you know, came to him and checked his pocket and he had uh, stones in his pocket and they took the stones out and he said, no, 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 don't take the stones. And they were put there by my son and I want to keep them safe. So his son was playing and put stones in his father's pocket and, um, and, and which were affecting his sleep, but he wouldn't remove the stones because mm. it was, it was part of his son's play. So I think those things are really important for us as parents to, to recognize and um, the importance of these tiny, small acts for children and um, how we can, um, validate this this concept of play for them so Ali would storytelling come into the concept of play for example you know telling stories of the prophets of pious people of bravery yes absolutely I think storytelling has been something that's been used for generations and generations Mm -hmm. and I I think you know we talk about Cinderella Snow White all those Mm -hmm. types of things but then when we talk about sort of bringing in the prophets and things it it makes it accessible for the children so in a way you're still doing their their learning and their Islamic teaching and everything but you're doing it in a way that's accessible for them Mm -hmm. and putting it into a kind of a a character like in the roles and everything like that so children really really resonate with that yeah. Uh, and it's that's also a way of encouraging that special, you know, baby and me time or child and me time where mm-hmm. you're able to to have that special, special bit, you know, before they go to bed. Uh, yeah. I remember yeah. my mom doing that kind of with me. And it used to be our time on the rocking chair. Yeah. You know? So, uh, it, so it, it's, it's like a play. You know, it is. it is like a play it for is. them. Yeah. Okay. So yes. then the next the next section that they spoke about in the report was the promotion of um, protecting parent infant relationships. What was that about? So this is this is ra- rather about the self-care of the mother being mm-hmm. really, really important. And often when a woman gives birth, we focus a lot on the little newborn and holding him and cuddling him. But the mom, the mom is, is trying to recover from what she has just done. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and it's kind of, you know, it, so, so there's got to be that focus on there. Uh, I make it a point now that when I visit new moms, I come over with some kind of rubber gloves and said, do you need me to clean? Like, do you need me to do some cooking? Like, what do you need me to do? I don't mm-hmm. just go there to cuddle the newborn. I actually go there to also, because I, I went through that. So, mm-hmm. And I would have appreciated that. So it's kind of things like that, that we can do as kind of a community or with each other. Um, so, but, but, you know, there's there's different groups and things such as, you know, not only, you know, obviously therapy, but there's also postpartum support groups as well. Um and that can really help the mum kind of get out of that uh, that funk, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and there's parenting programs as well. Uh, some examples of that national ones are Incredible Years, which shares tips and ideas to help a child learn uh, in school and in life. And there's Incredible Babies, which teaches new parents how to support their baby in the first year of their life. And there's also H-E-N-R-Y, Henry which focuses on health, exercise and nutrition for really young kids. And then there's also the Freedom Programme, which helps mum and children who have unfortunately suffered domestic abuse. So there are different programmes out there that are for are for mums and for children as well to help them kind of have a little bit more of an enhanced life or to help them get away from some of the issues that they are experiencing. That they're experiencing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, these these are necessary in society. 
Um, and Anne-Marie, you know, we have we have different things within our community that we do um, different parenting type of programs. Can you just give us a little bit of information about those? Yeah, so as part of the, the community, there are various what we call terbiyat programs, which is sort of moral training programs for young mothers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it gives us examples of how to take care of mothers during this postpartum period, which is actually a particularly crucial, crucial time um, for mental health for women mm -hmm. um, uh, during this period. And actually, um, no, there isn't that much awareness about this in the UK, but it, but actually the biggest killers of mothers in the first year is actually postpartum depression. Mm. Um, nobody really talks about that that much, but actually that is the biggest killer mm. of of mothers. Um, and we and we talk about this within our various programs within the community as well. Mm -hmm. Um trying to support mothers and support people who are going through mental health issues mm -hmm. um and there's also a special emphasis given to to young boys um because even in the report as we mentioned earlier it's been recognized that actually there should be a special attention given to to young boys because the proportion of two to four year old boys that suffer with mental health conditions was significantly higher it was 6.8 percent yeah. compared to 3.9 percent for two to four year old girls so there's yeah. definitely a difference there yeah definitely and I think this is one of the things that you know over the last few years we've recognized this within the community and tried to come up with special programs to help mothers of young boys and how to kind of educate them um what's the best methods because boys and girls are different they need different things so we need to focus on those differences as well um so I think that's really important that we're trying to recognise the issues that are coming up with young mothers and having the extended family and a community support is really, really important um, in order to do that. And finally, in the report, it mentioned about early childhood education. Alia, what was it saying about that? I'm saying about the importance of uh, nursery and mm -hmm. playgroups and childminding and the quality of care that mm -hmm. has been shown within those spheres. Mm -hmm. So I think with 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 these things in mind that's also about the kind of um the pe the the workers that are there and the amount of time that there's a significant amount of time that is that the child spends in things like nursery and child minding mm -hmm. where so much of their informed education kind of takes place mm -hmm. but also within the within kind of um the, the sort of religious community um we we sort of from a faith perspective we have the idea that of course, worldly education is, is incredibly important, but also there is the religious, spiritual education mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And um, as a community, we have lots of guidance and support regarding this, yeah. Um, yeah. which maybe uh, you, you can kind of expand into. Yeah, a yeah bit. we can talk about that in a bit more detail. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Um, this is Pathway to Peace for the Voice of Islam radio station. And, and today we've been discussing um, the impact of mental health issues on zero to five year olds. So, you know, looking at this idea of um, especially this, these last two points that you mentioned, um, the issue of protecting the parent infant relationship. Um, and Marie, when we were chatting, you were explaining the impact of the nursery. So we just looked at this concept of, you know, early childhood education and care. Um, and you were talking about uh, the impact of the nursery. Could you expand on that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, so there have been several studies, including a, a recent Norwegian study looking at stress levels, so looking at the hormone cortisol in children being placed in a nursery setting below the age of two. And all all of these um, data, data sets are basically um, 
conclude that their conclusions are very strong in that there's a there is an increase in that, that stress hormone the cortisol that's mm. present in the child's urine or the child's sweat which is much higher in children um, below the age of two or under when they're placed in a nursery setting compared to children who are looked after at home mm. um, and actually I think this is really linked to the one of the biggest changes in modern lifestyle nowadays in that um, the fact that both men and women have their work outside of the home um, where men's work used to actually entail a lot of work at home in mm. terms of farming or workshop work um, being self-employed at home woodwork carpentry all those types of things that used to be conducted from their own homes most of the time and women's work actually um, was almost always if it wasn't farming it was at home so it was mostly textile based um, you know previously in in um, uh, many generations ago and, and and that was because it would be, enable her to sort of pick up and put down her work safely to to be able to care for children around the home as well but that changed in the last, you know, 100 to 200 years where um, factories were set up and now um, men were working away from home and women were, were also pushed out into to the workforce um, uh, later after the after the Second World War in particular. So mm -hmm. the idea that women never used to work and then um was suddenly thrust into work is just not true they always they, they always used to used to work generally but it was just from home mm -hmm. um and it was more flexible because of that reason and it was only after you know the 1950s in which the western culture had promoted the idea of the 1950s housewife of a stay-at-home mother where she didn't conduct any paid work at home and all her work was surrounded by the family in the home um that was unpaid and so most cultures up until that point um, you know, the, 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 the women's extra work where they earned money was actually conducted from home, as I mentioned. But once that changed to working away from home in factories, etc., then that meant that nurseries ended up coming into the picture and they grew in number and popularity. Um, and, but that's actually quite an, in many ways, unnatural way of a child being looked after because it's away yeah. from parents and relatives and things. So, yeah. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense that you, you've sort of, um, even, you know, when you're considering this kind of like early childhood education, we still need to care and be mindful, you know, for protecting that sort of parent-infant relationship. So you want to put them maybe into a nursery um, and maybe that's because a mother now has to, or a father, whoever the, pet, the the primary caregiver is, has to go to work. That's one of the prime reasons to put a, such a young child into a nursery. Whereas in the past where you had that, that system of being able to work from home, which it off, which is coming back now. I have to say a lot of people are starting to work from home you know yep. a lot of office jobs can happen at home which is good um but you need to be mindful of you know the education system and and, and also protecting that relationship between the child um, and the parent um alia did you have any anything to say about that i think we see advice from the head of the worldwide emmedia community where he explains that the morality of children is also being affected by what they're learning in schools mm. So there was a uh, annual women's gathering uh, on September um, 2022 where Hazir Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, said that even in schools, very small children are being taught, um, excuse me, inappropriate um, and immoral things, which they are far too young to comprehend. And as a result, children from very young age are being conditioned by their schools and the wider society into a secular way of thinking. 
uh, which moves away from religious values and teachings. So in such conditions, the onus is very much upon parents to -hmm. ensure the moral training of their children. And what was further stated also was that these days, even children's cartoons or computer games are including storylines or characters that are really inappropriate and take away the child's innocence. And the long-term consequences of this kind of exposure is really dangerous and can easily take our future generations away from religion and moral values. So parents need to keep a close eye on what their children are exposed to and to counter the outside influences. And we spoke a little bit more about, we spoke about that earlier. So we Mm -hmm. need to have that openness to discuss the different controversial issues with our kids so -hmm. that they find it out from us and they discuss with us as their parents rather than try to look for it outside and it may not be the best information for them. So, you know, it all ties in together, doesn't it? And I think, you know, like you, like Amory just mentioned, and you were talking about this early education, early, you know, preschool education, um, that even like really, really tiny children, you know, if they're going to to nursery from the age of two, how are they supposed to discuss things that they're seeing with their parents, Mm. you know, that they're just about to, you know, able to speak at that age. So these are things that we do need to take into consideration. It's only when they can verbalize and they can actually explain things to you that they can discuss these things with you. And if you're putting them into those kind of environments from a very, very young age, um, that that's opening them up to anxiety, to mental health issues, because they, they have no way to discuss those things and those issues with you. Exactly. So, you know, we, what we can see is um, that from our, our faith actually provides us with guidance as to how to raise children in order to kind of instill confidence in them and for them to become, um, you know, resilient inf- individuals as well, while at the same time taking care of the interests of the parents, especially the mother. So in a book um, called Way of the Seekers, which was a speech by the second caliph of the Amdi Muslim community, he actually gave lots of guidelines, 26, um, as as compared to the six given in the report, um, which, you know, talked about, you know, many, many different things, um, you know, the physical cleanliness of a child, um, which, you know, safeguarded their moral cleanliness routine, as Anne-Marie mentioned earlier, you know, parents self-sacrificing, um, and, you know, one of the really interesting ones was that um, not lying to your children um, because the child will imitate you. So I wanted to go into this concept of trust a little bit um, and just um, this idea that, that what we're talking about at the moment, trust and this building of a secure relationship, you know, with this season and the idea of Santa Claus, um, you know, we know as adults that this isn't the this isn't true. So why does it make a difference if we tell little kids Santa is coming to give you presents and you know only if you're good? You know what kind of impact will that have on them? So I think the issue of Santa Claus actually goes to a much deeper level, a philosophical level in a way, and the Rational Religion platform, which I also contribute to. Um, <laughs> released an interesting article actually about this particular issue on Santa Claus and that it explained, you know, this idea of an omnipotent or all-knowing person that rewards you or punishes you by Mm -hmm. not giving you a gift um, or the gift that you want is a lot like a godlike figure. And so, you know, throughout our childhood, we're told that Santa Claus is all-knowing and he will reward you and punish you accordingly with the gifts, etc., um in many ways this is uh kind of a ro- uh, this this is a bit godlike in a way and then suddenly finding out at about the age of 6 or 7 that actually it's or fake. even 9 or 10 mm. yeah or even later yeah how, mm. however long that parents can kind of push the story for that santa is actually a fake story and a lie 
Um, this breeds the ongoing questioning about the belief in God's existence, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a way, in a parallel, and it damages the very foundation and the relationship between a parent and a child, because at the end of the, the, the day, you know, you are lying to your child mm-hmm. with regards to that particular issue, um, and you're laying the groundwork for atheism, ultimately, um, mm-hmm. after, you know, you've been lied to for several years about this particular yeah. issue. I don't think necessarily the idea that you will be rewarded for a good action or you maybe will not get the right outcome if you behave badly um, in the long term will cause children to suffer because you know that there is a there is a concept that you know bad actions will have consequences and that's something children have to learn but you know many and so many religious parents do this already when it comes to the existence of god but the problem with santa is that he's not real Mm-hmm. And you perpetuate a lie in order to try and reform a child's behavior. Mm-hmm. And so once this child finds out that it was a lie and that they were being manipulated in order to bring about a good type of behavior that was desired by the parents, then that can really shake the, those foundations there. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, it also instills the idea that uh, that children can lie in the future and mm-hmm. you know in order to improve their own children's behavior it just it kind of instills that idea that it's okay to lie as long as you're trying to get something good whereas in islam lying in any age group at any point in time is considered a sin yeah yeah and i think that's a really important point that you know this concept of lying being a sin um is 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 vital and it's one of the things that helps us to um talk about like the moral education of our child if we're trying to teach them good morals and teach them to be good individuals I think we need to focus on the concept or the idea that if they are truthful individuals that will be half the battle of being good individuals and and morally and doing good things within society so you know there's lots of I mean parenting is not easy and with all the best will in the world you know things can happen um you know we only have to look at the world today to see that you know so many different things are taking place and it's difficult parenting is hard and it's not easy to always stay on that that right path I mean what what advice can you give Anne-Marie to parents who are uh, are finding this this whole thing difficult I I think ultimately we we really need to parent with wisdom Mm -hmm. um we need to give our children the tools in order to try and navigate you know situations difficult situations in the future so just um and and so we mentioned this already but children do mimic parents behavior but they mm-hmm. they learn um how to uh, engage in se- or, or kind of problem shoot based on the parents um behavior in a particular situation so they learn from us mm-hmm. and because we can't guarantee that they will be protected from suffering and anxiety you know it can happen in society it can happen to anyone in varying degrees but we have to provide the tools Mm -hmm. um, to children practically speaking from our own actions so that they learn from us as to how to deal with these situations Mm -hmm. and wisdom as we mentioned actually demands moderation and one quote of the prophet peace be upon him was that he said moderation is best in all affairs um an end quote and so it's important that we evaluate and be ready to rethink our parenting approach if our actions or comments appear to be kind of 
may be resulting in rebellious reactions in our children so we have we have as parents need to adapt as well and there mm -hmm. is wisdom in that as well if we notice that our children may be showing signs of anxiety or aren't responding in a way in which we're trying to train them essentially mm -hmm. um but you know at the same time parents shouldn't despair i know you said that parenting is difficult and it is difficult but there you know there is a beauty in having faith and a, and spiritual guidance as well um because ultimately we as i said earlier we don't know everything that can happen to our children in the mm -hmm. future we don't know everything that's going on in their minds that's why we pray to god to help cover our mistakes but also to help guide us forward in the best way because we don't have all the knowledge god has all the knowledge mm -hmm. um and we only need to remember the example of the prophet peace be upon him who is an orphan at such a young age and god protected him knowing that you know the ultimate source of comfort is god at the end of the day yeah yeah and we just need to we just also just need to keep um, praying as well that Allah, Allah that god does give us that insight that knowledge that ability to be able to build that that trust and that loving connection with our kids and then the rest is done with our actions you know it's yeah. like prayer first and then the rest the actions carry you all the way yeah and hopefully by our children seeing those actions and those prayers that they will also um, be led towards God and having a good relationship mm. with him and have reliance on him when they are yes. going through all the difficulties yes. or some of the difficulties that they go through Thank you so much, ladies. Um, so obviously, for time reasons, I'm sorry we have to finish our discussion here. Um, I'd like to thank um, our ladies, uh, sorry, our ladies that have joined us on the panel today. And I'd like to thank our listeners for staying with us during this discussion. Um, if you would like to join in the discussion, please tweet us at Voice of Islam UK using the hashtag VOI Peace. Um, so remember, you know, with parenting, um, we require infinite patience and prayers. And the Holy Quran teaches us that seek help with patience and prayer. And um, at times we may seem to run out of ideas and answers. We can pray then as well, that, O oh Lord, perfect our light for us and forgive us. Chapter 66, verse nine. We have to recognize that no matter how hard and um, sincerely we may try at the end of the day, it's merely the grace and the mercy of God that will help our children to cope with whatever the world throws at them. And, you know, by modeling prayer and trusting God, Ultimately, we hope and we pray that our children will also turn to God and seek his help whenever they are faced with trials and difficulties. Thank you again, and we hope to see you in our next show.